all you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Ways. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, fellow Star Wars fans? How is everybody doing today? We hope everyone is doing well, everything is going good. It's the same old thing on our side of the galaxy. You know, families are doing good, nothing too exciting has happened. Okay, maybe one thing. One of my cousins has caught the corona. He's doing better now, but when he had it, he said he couldn't taste anything. Everything that he ate or drank tasted like chalk. I don't think I could eat or drink anything that tasted like chalk. That's just nasty. I hadn't heard of anyone else having this symptom, but I guess several people have complained of this happening to them. I think the whole coronavirus thing is messed up. We are social distancing and wearing masks all the time, but the virus isn't even airborne. You get it from touching things that have the virus on them. Then you touch your face. So how is wearing a mask supposed to help you? Putting it on, taking it off causes you to touch your face more often, putting you in a higher risk of contracting the virus. I'm just saying, I personally think that it is a conspiracy. Think about it, Big Pharma is losing too much money. People are living healthier lives. The smoking rate has dropped drastically because of vaping. So now they have to figure out a way to make more money, hence the coronavirus. Soon they will come out with a vaccine that keeps us from getting it. And they will charge a butt ton of money for that. See how it all fits together? Okay, enough with all that. I'm done with the ranting about that. It is what it is. Let's get to some Star Wars. That's why we're all here in the first place. And let's see, what are we going to start with? Let's see. Uh, let's start with The Mandalorian. Season 2 starts in a few weeks. But ever since October started, it seems like time has just been going extremely slow. I wake up every day like I'm only on the 9th or the 11th. Why can't the 30th just come on and get here? As most of us already know, I am a huge fan of the show. And it just seems like to me that time stops moving in the weeks before the show airs. Or I'm just super impatient. Either way, it sucks. So what else do we got for you? Let's check to see what the news and rumor department has for us this week. Okay, I think we finally have an answer to who Snoke was. In a new book called the Star Wars book, Disney finally explains Snoke's origin story in more detail, as well as his connection to Darth Sidious. Snoke was introduced as the new Dark Lord of the Sith in The Force Awakens. Then he was killed by Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi. But before Snoke was killed, a number of fans had some theories about who he was. Some of the guesses ranged from Anakin Skywalker's evil twins, others thought he might be Darth Plagueis. Some even said that it might have been Mace Windu, which never made really any sense to me. But when The Rise of Skywalker came out, J.J. Abrams quickly addressed who Snoke had been when Kylo sees several Snoke bodies floating in fluid on Exegol. Then Palpatine briefly mentions that he made Snoke. This happens when he tells Kylo Ren that he has been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. But Snoke is not spoken of in depth again after this. But in the new book, The Mystery of Snoke is cleared up. It talks about Snoke's origin and his abilities. As he is described as a strand cast, which is an artificial being created by Sidious. Snoke is to be his proxy in the dark side. The page also states that Snoke has free will, but his actions and goals are orchestrated by Sidious. It is also noted Palpatine uses Snoke to sidestep the tradition of the dark side apprentice, basically undermining the rule of two. The apprentice slaying his master and taking over the head of the Sith. The details confirm that Snoke was created from Sidious, then used at the front by him to achieve his dark side goals, but that he was also his own being with free will, with no awareness of where he came from. So now we have the answer to who Snoke was. The best way to describe it, he was created by using Force Alchemy like we learned about in Season 1 when we looked at Donna the Jedi. It's crazy when you think about it. The way that legends and canon are intermingling more and more as Star Wars evolve. But that's what we got for news this week. Now let's get to the book. Three years later, 
Dessel was lost in the suffering of his job, barely even aware of his surroundings. His arms ached from the endless pounding of the hydraulic jack. Small bits of rock skipped off the cavern wall as he bored through, ricocheting off his protective goggles and stinging his exposed face and hands. Clouds of atomized dust filled the air, obscuring his vision, and the screeching whine of the jack filled the cavern, drowning out all other sounds as it burrowed centimeter by agonizing centimeter into the thick vein of cortosis woven into the rock before him. Impervious to both heat and energy, Cortosis was prized in the construction of armor and shielding by both commercial and military interests, especially with the galaxy at war. Highly resistant to blaster bolts, Cortosis alloys supposedly could withstand even the blade of a lightsaber. Unfortunately, the very properties that made it so valuable also made it extremely difficult to mine. Plasma torches were virtually useless. It would take days to burn away even a small section of cortosis-laced rock. The only effective way to mine it was through the brute force of hydraulic jacks, pounding relentlessly away at a vein, chipping the cortosis free bit by bit. Cortosis was one of the hardest materials in the galaxy. The force of the pounding quickly wore down the head of a jack, blunting it until it became almost useless. The dust clogged the hydraulic pistons, making them jam. Mining cortosis was hard on the equipment, and even harder on the miners. Dez had been hammering away for nearly six standard hours. The jack weighed more than 30 kilos, and the strain of keeping it raised and pressed against the rock face was taking its toll. His arms were trembling from the exertion. His lungs were gasping for air and choking on the clouds of fine mineral dust thrown up from the jack's head. Even his teeth hurt. The rattling vibration felt as if it were shaking them loose from his gums. But the miners on Apatros were paid based on how much cortosis they brought back. If he quit now, another miner would jump in and start working the vein, taking a share of the profits. Dez didn't like to share. The whine of the jack's motor took on a higher pitch, becoming a keening wail Dez was all too familiar with. At 20,000 RPM, the motor sucked in dust like a thirsty bantha sucking up water after a long desert crossing. The only way to combat it was by regular cleaning and servicing, and the Outer Rim Ore Works Company preferred to buy cheap equipment and replace it, rather than sinking credits into maintenance. Dez knew exactly what was going to happen next. And a second later, it did. The motor blew. The hydraulic seized with a horrible crunch and a cloud of black smoke spit out the rear of the jack. Cursing Oro and its corporate policies, Dez released his cramped finger from the trigger and tossed the spent piece of equipment to the floor. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Oversight, kid, a voice said. Gerd, one of the other miners, stepped up and tried to shoulder Dez out of the way so he could work the vein with his own jack. Gerd had been working the mines for nearly 20 standard years, 
and it had turned his body into a mass of hard, knotted muscle. But Dez had been working the mines for ten years himself, ever since he was a teenager, and he was just as solid as the older man. And a little bigger. He didn't budge. I'm not done here, he said. Jack died, that's all. Hand me yours and I'll keep at it for a while. You know the rules, kid. You stop working and someone else is allowed to move in. Technically, Gert was right. But nobody ever jumped another miner's claim over an equipment malfunction. Not unless he was trying to pick a fight. Dez took a quick look around. The chamber was empty, except for the two of them, standing less than half a meter apart. Not a surprise. Dez usually chose caverns far off the main tunnel network. It had to be more than mere coincidence that Gerd was here. Dez had known Gerd for as long as he could remember. The middle-aged man had been friends with Hurst, Dez's father. Back when Dez first started working the mines at 13, he'd taken a lot of abuse from the bigger miners. His father had been the worst tormentor, but Gerd had been one of the main instigators dishing out more than his fair share of teasing, insults, and the occasional cuff on the ear. Their harassments had ended shortly after Dez's father died of a massive heart attack. It wasn't because the miners felt sorry for the orphaned young man, though. By the time Hurst died, the tall, skinny teenager they loved to bully had become a mountain of muscle with heavy hands and a fierce temper. Mining was a tough job. It was the closest thing to hard labor outside a Republic prison colony. Whoever worked the mines on Apatros got big. And Dez just happened to become the biggest of them all. Half a dozen black eyes, countless bloody noses, and one broken jaw in the space of a month was all it took for Hearst's old friends to decide they'd be happier if they left Dez alone. Yet it was almost as if they blamed him for Hearst's death. And every few months, one of them tried again. Gerd had always been smart enough to keep his distance. Until now. I don't see any of your friends here with you, old man. Dez said. So back off my claim, and nobody gets hurt. Gerd spat on the ground at Dez's feet. You don't even know what day it is, do you, boy? Griffin disgrace is what you are. They were standing close enough to each other that Dez could smell the sour Corellian whiskey on Gerd's breath. The man was drunk. Drunk enough to come looking for a fight, but still sober enough to hold his own. Five years ago today, Gerd said, shaking his head sadly. Five years ago today, your own father died. And you don't even remember. Dez rarely even thought about his father anymore. He hadn't been sorry to see him go. His earliest memories were of his father smacking him. He didn't even remember the reason. Hurst rarely needed one. Can't say I miss Hurst the same way you do, Gerd. Hurst? Gerd snorted. He raised you by himself after your mama died, and you don't even have the respect to call him dad? You ungrateful son of a cat hound. Des glared down menacingly at Gerd. But the shorter man was too full of drink and self-righteous indignation to be intimidated. Should have expected this from a mud trutch whelp like you. Gerd continued. Hurst always said you were no good. He knew there was something wrong with you. Bane. 
Des narrowed his eyes, but didn't rise to the bait. Hurst had called him by that name when he was drunk. Bane. He blamed his son for his wife's death. Blamed him for being stuck on a Patros. He considered his only child to be the bane of his existence. A fact he'd tended to spit out at Des in his drunken rages. Bane. It represented everything spiteful, petty, and mean about his father. It struck at the innermost fears of every child. Fear of disappointment. Fear of abandonment. Fear of violence. As a kid, that name had hurt more than all the smacks from his father's heavy fists. But Des wasn't a kid anymore. Over time, he'd learned to ignore it, along with all the rest of the hateful bile that spilled from his father's mouth. I don't have time for this, he muttered. I've got work to do. With one hand, he grabbed the hydraulic jack from Gerd's grasp. He put the other hand on Gerd's shoulder and shoved him away. Stumbling back, the inebriated man caught his heel on a rock and fell roughly to the ground. He stood up with a snarl, his hands bawling into fists. Guess your daddy's been gone too long, boy. You need someone to beat the sense back into you. So this chapter starts off with Dessel working in the mines of Apatros, a planet in the Outer Rim. He is mining a rare mineral called Cortosis. It is a grueling job because Cortosis is one of the hardest metals in the universe. The way it is described, it can withstand a strike from a lightsaber. Now I don't know about that. If you recall in The Phantom Menace, Qui-Gon uses his lightsaber to cut through a blast door. I'm pretty sure they use Cortosis in a blast door. But anyway, this stuff is hard. And because it was so hard, it made it extremely hard to mine. They have to use hydraulic jacks to break it away from the rock. Basically a jackhammer. Now these hammers are heavy. It says they weigh 30 kilograms. For those of us that use pounds, that converts to about 66 pounds. Just imagine 66 pounds of vibrating machinery. I have done some hard jobs in my life, but this just sounds like some gruesome work. But it is the way that Dez made his money. The more ketosis he could mine in a day, the more money he made. Now this is some hard work. Your whole body would vibrate. The way it is explained, it vibrated so much that it felt like Dez's teeth were going to vibrate right out of his mouth. Plus you were breathing in dust that was created by the rocks breaking apart. There was poor ventilation in the mine. Just nasty, all around nasty. Now the jack is sucking in dust like a bantha. Okay, for those that don't know what a bantha is, I want you to think back to A New Hope. Remember the large hairy thing that the Tusken Raider were riding on? In the beginning of the movie on Tatooine, when Luke and C-3PO are looking for R2 after he ran off to find Obi-Wan, yeah, that thing, that's a bantha. That's how much dust this thing is sucking in. He knows that the engine is about to give out and then it blows. The Outer Rim Oil Works Company was the company that Dez worked for. They bought cheap jacks instead of fixing the ones that broke. Sounds like most company finding every way to save a buck. But Dez's jack just broke. If he stops working, he will lose the spot that he was working at. This is a problem. Think about it like this. When you are mining for gold, you find a spot where there's a big chunk of gold. You are not going to want to leave that spot because one of the other miners might start working that spot and take your gold. That is exactly what is about to happen to Dez. As soon as his jack stopped, there was a miner by the name of Gurr standing there to take his spot. Instead of Dez leaving to go get another jack, he tells the older man to hand him his jack. Now working the mines was hard on the body, but because it was hard on the body, the men who did it got big, and Dez got the biggest. He was two meters tall, little over six foot five inches. Now Gerd had been working the mines for 20 years and he was big, but Dez was bigger. So when Gerd tries to step in and take his place, Dez doesn't move. Gerd tells him it doesn't work like that. You stop working in a spot, he could start there. Gerd was right, but no one ever followed that rule. This is when Dez realizes the man was looking for a fight. Dez had started working the mines when he was 13 years old, 
By this point, his dad Hurst had already been working the mines for years. Gerd and the other miners would pick on Dez, but they stopped after Dez's father died of a heart attack. But they didn't stop because they feel sorry for Dez. They stopped because Dez had got bigger than them. He also beat a lot of them in a fight. For this reason, Gerd always had kept his distance till today. When Gerd had walked up on Dez, he was close enough that Dez could smell the booze on him. Okay, wait a minute. This seems like a very dangerous job. What in the world would make someone try to do it while they've been drinking? That's just crazy. But Dez realizes that the other man had been planning this all day. This is when Gerd tells Dez that it is the five-year anniversary of Dez's father dying. Dez tells Gerd he doesn't even think about Hurst anymore. This gets Gerd even more upset. Gerd starts calling Dez's name. Then Gerd tells Dez that Hurst said he was nothing and called him Bane. Hurst had always said that to him. Hurst blamed him for his mother's death and said he was the bane of his existence. I see why Dez didn't think about his dad that much. The way Dez describes his father, he was a very abusive man. The last thing that Dez remembered about his dad is the day that he died. He beat Dez bad, broke some ribs, his jaw, just to name a few things that he messed up. But Gerd was looking for a fight. He thought by calling Dez names, he could provoke him. But Dez had learned how to ignore the petty remarks made by others. So Dez reached out, grabbed Gerd's jack with one hand and shoved him back with the other. Gerd stumbles and falls down. He jumps off and balls up his fist. At this point, Dez knew the fight was on. And that's where we left off. So let's get back to the chapter to find out what happens next. Gerd was drunk, but he was no fool, Dez realized. Dez was bigger, stronger, younger. But he'd spent the last six hours working a hydraulic jack. He was covered in grime and the sweat was dripping off his face. His shirt was drenched. Gerd's uniform, on the other hand, was still relatively clean. No dust, no sweat stains. He must have been planning this all day, taking it easy and sitting back while Dez wore himself out. But Dez wasn't about to back down from a fight. Throwing Gerd's jack to the ground, he dropped into a crouch, feet wide and arms held out in front of him. Gerd charged forward, swinging his right fist in a vicious uppercut. Dez reached out and caught the punch with the open palm of his left hand, absorbing the force of the blow. His right hand snapped forward and grabbed the underside of Gerd's right wrist. As he pulled the older man forward, Dez ducked down and turned, driving his shoulder into Gerd's chest. Using his opponent's own momentum against him, Dez straightened up and yanked hard on Gerd's wrist, flipping him up and over so that he crashed to the ground on his back. The fight should have ended right then. Dez had a split second where he could have dropped his knee onto his opponent, driving the breath from his lungs and pinning him to the ground while he pounded Gerd with his fists, but it didn't happen. His back, exhausted from hours of hefting the 30-kilo jack, spasmed. The pain was agonizing. Instinctively, Dez straightened up, clutching at the knotted lumbar muscles. It gave Gerd a chance to roll out of the way and get back to his feet. Somehow, Dez managed to drop into his fighting crouch again. His back howled in protest, and he grimaced as red-hot daggers of pain shot through his body. Gerd saw the grimace and laughed. Cramping up there, boy. You should know better than to try and fight after a six-hour shift in the mines. Gerd charged forward again. This time, his hands weren't fists, but claws, grasping and grabbing at anything they could find, trying to nullify the younger man's height and reach by getting in close. Des tried to scramble out of the way, but his legs were too stiff and sore to get him clear. One hand grabbed his shirt, 
The other got hold of his belt as Gerd pulled both of them to the ground. They grappled together, wrestling on the hard, uneven stone of the cavern floor. Gerd had his face buried against Dessel's chest to protect it, keeping Dez from landing a solid elbow or headbutt. He still had a grip on Dez's belt, but now his other hand was free and punching blindly up to where he guessed Dez's face would be. Dez was forced to wrap his arms in and around Gerd's own, interlocking them so neither man could throw a punch. With their limbs pinned, strategy and technique meant little. The fight had become a test of strength and endurance, with the two combatants slowly wearing each other down. Dessel tried to roll Gerd over onto his back, but his weary body betrayed him. His limbs were heavy and soft. He couldn't get the leverage he needed. Instead, it was Gerd who was able to twist and turn, wrenching one of his hands free while still keeping his face pressed tight against Dez's chest so it wouldn't be exposed. Dez wasn't so lucky. His face was open and vulnerable. Gerd struck a blow with his free hand, but he didn't hit with a closed fist. Instead, he drove his thumb hard into Dez's cheek, only a few centimeters from his real target. He struck again with the thumb, looking to gouge out one of his opponent's eyes and leave him blind and writhing in pain. It took Dez a second to realize what was happening. His tired mind had become as slow and clumsy as his body. He turned his face away just as the second blow landed, the thumb jamming painfully into the cartilage of his upper ear. Dark rage exploded inside Dez, a burst of fiery passion that burned away the exhaustion and fatigue. Suddenly, his mind was clear, and his body felt strong and rejuvenated. He knew what he was going to do next. More importantly, he knew with absolute certainty what Gerd would do next, too. He couldn't explain how he knew. Sometimes he could just anticipate an opponent's next move. Instinct, some might have said. Bess felt it was something more. It was too detailed, too specific to be simple instinct. It was more like a vision, a brief glimpse into the future. And whenever it happened, Des always knew what to do, as if something was guiding and directing his actions. When the next blow came, Des was more than ready for it. He could picture it perfectly in his mind. He knew exactly when it was coming and precisely where it would strike. This time, he turned his head in the opposite direction, exposing his face to the incoming blow and opening his mouth. He bit down hard, his timing perfect, and his teeth sank deep into the dirty flesh of Gerd's probing thumb. Gerd screamed as Dez clamped his jaw shut, severing the tendons and striking bone. He wondered if he could bite clean through. And then, as if the very thought made it happen, he severed Gerd's thumb. The screams became shrieks as Gerd released his grasp and rolled away, clasping his maimed hand with his whole one. Crimson blood welled up through the fingers trying to staunch the flow from his stump. Standing up slowly, Dez spat the thumb out onto the ground. The taste of blood was hot in his mouth. His body felt strong and re-energized, as if some great power surged through his veins. All the fight had been taken out of his opponent. Dez could do anything he wanted to Gerd now.
The older man rolled back and forth on the floor, his hand clutched to his chest. He was moaning and sobbing, begging for mercy, pleading for help. Dash shook his head in disgust. Gerd had brought this on himself. It had started as a simple fistfight. The loser would have ended up with a black eye and some bruises, but nothing more. Then the older man had taken things to another level by trying to blind him, and he'd responded in kind. Des had learned long ago not to escalate a fight unless he was willing to pay the price of losing. Now Gerd had learned that lesson, too. Des had a temper, but he wasn't the kind to keep beating on a helpless opponent. Without looking back at his defeated foe, he left the cavern and headed back up the tunnel to tell one of the foremen what had happened so someone could tend to Gerd's injury. He wasn't worried about the consequences. The medics could reattach Gerd's thumb, so at worst, Des would be fined a day or two's wages. The corporation didn't really care what its employees did, as long as they kept coming back to mine the cortosis. Fights were common among the miners, and Aura almost always turned a blind eye. Though this particular fight had been more vicious than most, savage and short with a brutal end. Just like life on a Patros. Okay, this part of the chapter starts off with Dez preparing himself to fight with Gerd. He knows that Gerd has the upper hand. Dez had been working for the last six hours, and Gerd's clothes were still fairly clean. He had been taking it easy all day. But Dez was not about to back down for a fight. As he gets into the fighting stance, Gerd takes a swing at him. Dez grabs his hand and uses his other hand to draw Gerd in and picks him up and slams him down. Then it happens. All those hours of working caught up with him. This is when his back seizes up. Dez has to stop his attack and stand up straight and stretch. This gave Gerd time to get up. Gerd sees the opportunity and rushes back in. Dez realizes his body is just too tired from working for the last six hours. He is sluggish and his mind is not reacting fast enough. Shoot, after a few hours of working in those mines, I wouldn't want to have to fight anyone. But at this point, Gerd had got Dez in a position that he could strike at his face. As Gerd's first fist hits Dez's cheek, Dez noticed that it wasn't his fist, it was a stump. So Gerd was trying to gouge out his eyes. This made Dez Dez mad, very mad. Gerd was not fighting fair. This is when Dez's rage starts to fuel him. All of a sudden, his body felt strong. His mind was clear and precise. At this point, he just knew what to do. It was like his instincts took over, like something was guiding him. He knew without a doubt what was going to happen next. Dez had came to trust these feelings. He knew where and when Gerd's thumb would be. It was like time slowed down. He turned his face, opened his mouth, and bit down. The thumb of the other man was in his mouth. Gerd could do nothing but scream. And Dez has a revelation. He could bite his thumb right off. And before he knew it, he was spitting Gerd's thumb out on the ground. Now for Gerd, he was just screaming in pain. He was trying to stop the blood and pleading for mercy. Dez was not the kind of man that would beat a helpless foe. Gerd was not going to cause him any more problems. He would think twice before stepping to Dez again. This is when Dez thought to himself, it would never have went this far if Gerd would just have fought fair. They would both be a little bit bruised, maybe even have a black eye. But now Gerd would have to get his thumb reattached. Dez would probably be punished for the fight. He would probably be fined some money and lose a day of work. Nothing really that bad, but that's the way it was on a patrol. Hard and gritty. And that's all we have for today. You'll have to tune in next week to find out what happens in Chapter 2. Hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. 
Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel. Sound design by Theodore Thompson. Research by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.